The Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast is brought to you by L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers, where Rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged. Cornblow and Cornblow, the official law firm of the process, and Big Barker Therapeutic Dog Beds. Get yours with the free Ricky upgrade at bigbarker.com slash Ricky. All right, we have really entered the off season. On the show today, we're going to move on to the next thing. Not totally move on, but sort of move on. We're going to give you our draft big boards. Mine, of course, determined only by watching YouTube. We've got some leftover burner tweets, some thoughts on the general manager search, and the right Streaky Sanchez's own Andrew Unterberger will join us to deliver a eulogy for the era of Brian Colangelo. Just to foreshadow it, Unterberger is generally a very, like, kind and rational person, but it seems like he didn't like Brian Colangelo very much. Um, hey, uh, since we're heading into the real off season now, we got, we got a lot of good emails in the, uh, the Ricky email about burner gate and we just didn't have time to get to many of them. But now that we're heading into the off season, we'll get, be able to get to the, uh, Lorenzo Brown mailbag more. So that's right. Stricky Sanchez at gmail.com. And you have six days left to get the Ben Dietrich, Eric Jr. T-shirts. They are, uh, they're flying off the shelves since Brian Colangelo only resigned. <laughs> Only, Only six days left to get them, but but the rest of your life to explain <laughs> what the hell the shirt means. We just to keep, whoever you wear it from. Front every of. time a shirt comes out, it's like no, no, no. This is the hardest one to explain. It's like it's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, uh, you can get the shirt at rightsrickysanchez.com. Without any further ado, here is Run the Jewels. We are the murderers there. That with the jail and we murdered the murderers there. Then with the hell and discovered the devil delivered some hurt and despair. Used to have power to push. Now I smoke pounds of the push. Holy, I'm burning the bush. Now I give a fuck about none of this shit. Two runner over and out of this bitch. Step into the spotlight. Welcome to the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. My name is Spike Eskin, along with a guy who hasn't set any of his burner accounts to private, even in light of the recent controversy. That is Mike Levin. Morning, Mike. No, and honestly, I wouldn't. No? I wouldn't do it. I think it. I think that was, um, of, of all the dumb moves that we've seen yep. in, in Burnergate, I think the immediately setting them to private was the dumbest. Yeah. Yeah, it it had to be. I mean, it was I and I understand it because of the the panic that ensues when you're caught on something. Oh, the, definitely. The fir- Nothing but panic. The first thing is like how do I cover this up? How do I get rid of it? Unfortunately, not realizing that the internet like you you don't get, ever get rid of anything. Like there's people with yeah. screenshots of everything. It's never going away. So there are people like It's uh, just sh- it's just shame we didn't see the uh, Shart rolling down her leg after <laughs> after being told that it happened, and his and his as well. Both way. of their legs, Both honestly, their legs. their shorts are in it together. So before we get going, here's I I, I want to ask you because sometimes I'm I'm too buried in it. As as you've mentioned many times, I respond to too many tweets, um, and I think sometimes I lose a little bit of perspective. But it seems to me that. Starting with our, we had a uh, an argument on the podcast in December, I think it was, about how Brian Colangelo was doing as general manager, and I was like excessively negative, and I was mm-hmm. it, it was met with 
more negative reaction from like the the uh, the herd than I expected. And then as the 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 year went on, I even told you I think privately that I was like I still thought he was doing a bad job, and I thought like even my the Marco Bellinelli stuff. But I wasn't even going to talk about it anymore because I was going to let people enjoy the games and we should all just enjoy the basketball but it was pretty confused as to the like the tide seems to have seemed to have turned to even to me to even like process people except for the maniacs like like <laughs> like Ben uh that that they were that people seemed generally positive at least marginally positive about the job he was doing and as soon as this happened from my perspective, the narrative on what he had done seemed to have changed really quickly. And I don't know if people were just so angry about what he had done that it made them, what he had done, like the Twitter stuff, that it made them negative. Or if it was an opportunity to look back and say, or if they were just legitimizing uh the fact that they wanted to get rid of him because of the Twitter thing by saying that he didn't do that good of a job anyway. Like what, what happened? Because it seemed like everybody turned quicker and more as a unit than I expected. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I think it was a combination of a lot of those things. I think um, there was a, I didn't read it and I never read him because I think he's bad. Uh, but there's a Marcus Hayes column saying, I didn't, I really didn't even read it, but about like, how he needed to go anyway and how he wasn't good. And then like only a, a couple months before a column of how good a job Colangelo was doing. So it's just like, there's disingenuous. I think, I think this sort of made it easy for people to be like, I'm, I'm breaking off. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting the eject button right. and I'm out right. like entirely. But I do think like, look, I looked at it. There was a good Mike O'Connor piece in the athletic about grading all of his moves uh, as GM and I thought Mike I was, think was looked, overly kind in that article. By the way, I thought he was sure, uh, sure. Yeah. So, but anyway, but I, th- I think I think generally, like his reign here is just incomplete. I think he did almost nothing consequential. Obviously, the false trade is very consequential. That is maybe the most consequential trade in Sixers history. So we'll see how that goes. I still believe in Markel Fultz a lot. Uh, so I'm not gonna. Uh, throw my hands up in the air and blame him for anything because I think it's still a lot remains to be seen. Um, but in terms of his signings, it was a lot of one-year deals. It was a lot of veterans that the league pretty much uh, insisted the Sixers acquire and ownership wanted to make it seem like things were changing and all that stuff. But in terms of what he actually did, like the Simmons pick was in his lap. Uh, we'll see if Cork Mazur Luau can turn into an NBA player. I think Jonah Bolden pick was good. Uh, the Covington contract was great. Embiid's contract had to happen. Like all of these things are pretty much like down the middle things for him to do. And this was the off season that he was really going to take off and and show and pretty much sh- shit or get off the pot, right? I I still think that you were too negative about his reign here. I think if if you look at the team that he inherited and the team we have now, uh, he didn't fuck it up. He fucked himself by this whole thing, but he, it's really to me is just an incomplete and I'm, 
considering the alternative, I'm happy with. I, my expectations were lower than this, and considering the alternative and how how nice it is that Embiid is healthy and Simmons is healthy, and uh, they've let you know a couple of the guys grow into like a starting role without rushing it too much. Um, our, our, I feel I feel fine about it. Our our disagreement hinges on whatever opportunity cost we feel was there because when he i agree with you in that the in the didn't fuck it up he got here and there were like you know three or four valuable like the 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 players that are valuable moving forward we're sure of are Embiid, simmons dario covington like tj mcconnell those are the kid didn't inquire any of them really um, we are yeah, we, no. we are guessing on on faults uh, and you know who knows. So I, I think the the main point we disagree on is is what is what could have been done if he was like I think he missed out on a lot of opportunity um, in in not doing anything. And I think your retort is that it was better that he didn't do anything phenomenally destructive. In, in any fell swoop. Like, there were a lot of dings, and when you look at it, there maybe there wasn't a lot of positive, but at least he didn't give Kyle Lowry five years and $160 million or, or whatever. Right, so. and, and I, think, I think, like, most of what he did was waiting for this offseason. And I think that's probably why, part of why, he was so reluctant to go and didn't resign almost immediately because he's like, no, this is, I'm here. Now is the time that I've been waiting for. I didn't get to, like, really do all the things I wanted to do this offseason would have been it and so you feel for him in that in that sense particularly but to me to me it's like you look at what what else could have done who who like what free agency free agents were there that they could have happened they could have targeted to me it was like let's be patient let's wait to see how good the team is this is the first year that the team has been even relatively cohesively together and they won 52 games, and so it's like, oh, fuck, we're better than we thought we would. Now we can acquire the free agents. To me, it's just like, look, the Jared Bayless contract was bad, but other than that, and aside from a couple second-round picks that they didn't, like, they had a, a huge XX of anyway, um, to me, there, was, there wasn't a ton of long-lasting damage, if you believe in the Markel Fultz trade, which I still do. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I I think there was, but whatever. We'll see. Uh, like we we turn the page to some other idiot that'll be gone in two years anyway. So we'll see what happens. I'll just I'll just say yeah. Uh, before we jump into big boards, like I I officially don't want David Griffin. Yeah. I officially don't. Well, want I, I have he, that. Comes, I have that I'll on the rundown. I have that on the rundown. Like, oh, okay. Because okay. we we don't have big boards yet. I have a couple of other Colangelo things before we get into oh. the big board. So, um, uh, and we finally got Joel Embiid's. Uh, post yes. reaction as he he tells lebron to find a new slant which is just thank you joel for like you know deep down he knew the right 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 thing was not to acknowledge but he couldn't uh, i <laughs> like any of us he just he couldn't he he could not not say something and and it was i enough. thought it was it was perfect it was perfect i thought it was uh extreme self-control to wait this long <laughs> yeah 
Honestly, yeah, yeah. I, he deserves a lot of credit for holding off until then. It was like the Ben Dietrich not acknowledging that he had those tweets for three months of like Joel Embiid tweeting almost like it showed a lot of restraint for Dietrich to hold back on all that stuff from February or January until now. So congratulations, uh, Joel, on waiting three days before acknowledging or two days uh all right before we there's a couple other colangelo things i want to i want to get to and gm things before we get to big boards uh before that the return of the willie green five-star apple podcast review of the week mike we have 1640 five-star ratings when we get to 2000 i have to do a podcast that reads the the all the reviews from 1000 on Last time it took about four hours. This one comes from C. Lagore34. Uh, he or she says, I'm rewriting my review because I needed to find a new slant. Colangelo's gone. We're still here. Go Sixers. Subject line, Colangelo just got fired. Uh, I think we can all agree that the find a new slant is going to be the thing that sticks around in perpetuity. So I'm excited for the call and response chance at writes Ricky Sanchez events and Sixers games. Uh, that's a normal collar. Find a new slant. That's a normal collar. Find a new slant. Uh, like instead of that's going to take the place of the defense chance? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to get to real quick. Um, I don't have access to all of the, the, um, the, the tweets from the locked accounts, but uh, I think Derek does, and clearly Ben Dietrich did, and Ben Dietrich spoke, aside from... Uh, his first, he did a ringer podcast right when it came out, did a ringer podcast, um, right when Colangelo resigned, but then did a cookies podcast. Uh, Ben Dietrich has his own podcast, uh, called cookies with a couple of other dudes that I listened to. And he went through some tweets yesterday that had not been discussed before. Um, just wanted to, did you happen to listen or no? So, so these will be new to you. Okay, cool. Um, there is a a series of tweets um, naming Daryl Morey as public enemy number one and said, not specifically, but in so many words, hinted that Daryl Morey prevented the Colangelo son from going to MIT um, and ripped him for that. Obviously, Morey is involved in the Sloan Athletic Conference, which is part of MIT. So there, there seemed to be some personal stuff there. Which is I love that insane. I yeah. love that. Which, which also, by the way, just like if you needed more evidence of where this stuff was coming from, you know, like any sort of, I mean, that is crazy. Um, there now, this was more sort of Brett Brown shade coming from it. Uh, obviously, Woj came out with a report that uh, that they that Brett Brown was never their coach, which I think we had, you know, always surmised that that I think that's why we always thought Brett was in danger. Uh, you know, uh, so it seems like that this account, whether it be Brian or his wife, really fucking hates the San Antonio Spurs and calls them the mothership and says at some point that everyone who leaves always reports back to the mothership of what's going on. And there seemed to be like some anger towards San Antonio. Um, like an, like an NBA mole type kind of thing? Yes, Correct. Yeah, the Spurs almost. deep state. Yeah, what a cool take. Yep, and then um, and I don't remember particularly. I wish I'd written it down. There were tweets um, uh, criticizing LeBron James pretty harshly and criticizing Woj 
uh, pretty harshly. Now, the Woj thing is interesting because if you remember correctly, the letter, was, the hinky letter was leaked to Mark Stein. And Woj's Brian Colangelo treatment after that was always pretty <laughs> negative, um, <laughs> which is pretty interesting that Woj ended up having all these stories. And now Woj is saying like it's the the best job available, like in pro sports and like, you know, every general manager is begging out of their contract to get to it. So I thought it was yeah. interesting that there was anti Woj stuff in there as well. So Petty Woj is such He's the best a treat. Yep. In NBA subculture. <laughs> yep. Yep. And if that everything that happens can be looked through th- via that lens. Yes. Of, oh, he's just being petty. It's yes. great. Yes. And and if you if you take a step back and watch the Woj stuff, like, clearly the guy is incredible at his job. But watching the uh, for lack of it, here's another process is a word that is ruined for the rest of our life. Slant is also ruined now. But when you look at his mm-hmm. like slant on things, it is pretty funny to just think like okay well why like what is the reason behind this so um oh something i didn't tease all right so and that's that's really all i had um so we can get to big boards the only other thing i had was i have a take that i've been workshopping and i don't know when you want it like when you want that take it is a non-draft take and a non-colangelo take i don't even know do we do those things on this podcast anymore what <laughs> non-draft and non-Colangelo or or yeah, takes? Yeah, I don't know. yeah. Are we wait? Are we talking about the the GM search now or is that? Later? Oh, I have GM search uh, next. Actually, do you want to talk about GM search and then? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. So, um, so Woj obviously saying every general manager in basketball uh, wants the job. I think there is probably some truth to that and a little bit of hyperbole based on the fact that. Woj had all the inside scoops on this story. So I think there's probably some symmetry there. Um, The names mentioned, by and large, uh, including now Kevin O'Connor mentioned similar people. Uh, Mike Zarin has obviously been mentioned. David Griffin has been mentioned. Kevin O'Connor mentioned Kiki Vandeway. The internal candidates being Ned Cohen and Mark Eversley. And then the other two that I've noticed and that, like, seemed interesting to me uh, that you noticed, uh, I think mentioned on the last pod, are Trajan Langdon and uh, Gerson Rosas, I guess is how you pronounce it, at, at Houston, in Houston. Yeah. Um, I agree with you on Griffin. I am like sort of out on Griffin. The, the he's going to bring LeBron thing is like, like he's not bringing LeBron. Like that's not how it works. If, yeah. you know, I don't think LeBron gives too much of a shit who the general manager is as long as... You know, I he didn't even give a shit who the general manager or coach was when he went back to Cleveland. So I don't think it matters too much. But um, his his resume is complicated because of the LeBron era mixed. There's some bad in there, some OK in there. I I but I'm with you on not wanting him. But also he got his start in Phoenix via the Colangelos. Right. David Griffin loves the Colangelos. Right. That is that he talked about him in his, I think, yep. Woj interview. Yep, he did. So, can't have him. Can't have that. And also the first, Legs tweeted at us before the podcast started that uh, the first ac- the first acquisition of the David Griffin era was trading for Spencer Hawes from the Sixers. Right, which is not great. But also, no. part of the, is that part of LeBron era or pre-LeBron era? I think I think it was pre. Pre, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm, but yeah, there's, no, no there's a lot of these guys, 
I looked at I, I do think that uh every GM does want the job. Or not everyone, but I think a lot of them are, you know, if you're in fucking Charlotte or right. Detroit or sure. whatever whatever place you're I think you're like, let me get out of here. Uh of the of the teams of the current GMs, uh, I would look at Sean Marks. Yeah. Well he's not going I would look at well, I would look at Sam Presti. I think it's it's uh, it'd be just real quick. Like they'd have to get permission to leave too, because this yeah, of course. this is not a normally like if you're an assistant, you can leave for a better job, this a bigger job. Like this is not a, a bigger job if yeah, you're yeah, already yeah. a general manager. So uh, continue, right? Um, somebody mentioned and this is not going to happen, but somebody mentioned that if if Pop's departure seems imminent. R.C. Buford could leave San Antonio. I don't necessarily buy that, but would certainly kick the tires on it. Um, but yeah, my also someone mentioned Rich Cho, uh, former Charlotte GM. He had uh, a little more shine on him prior to taking the Charlotte job, um, but that was a sort of shit show with Michael Jordan anyway. So I don't know how much he could have done. Also, everybody uh, like praised him for his, his like food blog, but that blog sucked. So I'm like, <laughs> I, 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 I didn't know that. Yeah, it's not good. Not a good blog. Anyway. Um, but basically, I, I would rather have, I would rather promote Eversley than get Griffin or get somebody that's like sort of bland and retready. You put Kiki uh, Vandaway in that camp? Kind of, yeah. He's, like some, something about like coming from the league office is like, yeah. what, is, what have you been doing? Right. Like to to jump from league office there, it's like what you've been fielding league pass calls. What what's the job? There? <laughs> how do you how do you know how do you know how to build a team anymore? Uh, but yeah, I would I think just there's something to say for promoting from within. I feel like that is good for culture, and uh, you know he's certainly been around long enough for to to earn that kind of thing. Talking about and, Eversley, yeah, right. And I don't, I don't know really anything about him other, other, other than that. But, um, but yeah, like a Sean Marks, I would kick the tires on Gershon Rosas. Just hiring the Houston guy uh, is funny to me, especially in light of the Colangelo's hating Dal More. Um, yeah, any, I just like give me, give me either a promote from within or a hot assistant. That's it. Yeah, I. I am. Uh, I don't really want promote from within. In that, I think that the on some level, the look. I don't know enough to know, right? Like I don't know enough about. You know, nobody does. Yeah. You never do until but, you hear like you hear like whispers or whatever. And and I, there are plenty of examples that you know in businesses I've worked at where there was a culture problem at the top, but the people below that there was no culture problem. Like there was a culture problem because of the person at the top, not because of the people in there. So I don't want to uh, indict Eversley or Cohen because of that, but I also think that. Uh, new blood given what happened wouldn't be the worst thing in the world like i think we agree that zarin would be the best story-wise what i'm doing is looking at organizations who have done a good job who the you know the guy we're talking about is choosy you know like both zarin and and rosas have been pretty choosy in in what they've decided to do or not do like i think they've both had opportunity like zarin had opportunity here and turned it down so um, yeah. I don't think Zarin w- was, would take it, but um, but who knows? So I do. I I do think he would take it. There's there's a guy in 
in my DMs and I won't out him because I don't know if he wants this to be outed, but he went to a Celtics game a couple years ago and like there was some, or it was not even a Celtics game, it ended up being like a presentation or something and, and Mike Zarin spoke and asked if anybody was a Sixers fan and the guy raises his hand and Zarin proceeded to trash the process and like tanking and losing culture and all that stuff and said the fans would never come back, blah, blah, blah. And that also drives with Zarin being the guy who had stands for the wheel which is lottery reform based on everybody getting a different draft slot over 30 years not based on your record at all just based based on randomness and eventually well, we, getting every slot we know he came up idea. with it we, we, we don't know if he like think you know he came up with it i think it's if you came up with something i feel like you believe in it right uh, i don't know all of my all of my takes <laughs> I, st- I stand for well um i think no, I think that jives with like who he is, and right. not that, that that matters. The Sixers aren't going to tank anytime soon, but it's a little bit of a dweeby thing to think, especially in light of how wrong he was. I my mine would go. I want Zarin or Langdon or Rosas. I like Langdon is uh, from Alaska and um, has a cool name, and also is part of an organization that is doing like a hinky like type thing. So. Um, and he's young, up and comer, so I'd rather have that than yeah. some retread. Um, and then, like for all the reasons you said, Rosas, I think like I we don't know. I didn't know anything about. I remember the reason I decided what I thought of Hinky was after they hired him, what people said about him. And I remember mm-hmm. uh, Bob Volgaris and Zach Lowe, and uh, you know everybody. The, the things they said were things that seemed smart to me and then his background was attractive to me so it's not like i knew the whole time oh i'd like hinky so we'll see what they do and it'll be easier to judge maybe after that but on the the face of it those are the brand wise those are the guys that i think are most important to me or the guys that yeah there there was an interview that Woj did or a podcast that Woj did with three assistant gms um at some point maybe a year or so ago and rosas was one of them and i was impressed by him i think there was a jazz GM also that I can't remember who it was. Oh, I remember that. And I, th- and I think it was like Bob Myers's kid or something. Yeah, was the other one. Yep, I remember that. Um, but I, I was impressed by him, and so that's at least something. But just to just to finish up clans though, before we get onto the big board, and I know we're going to come back to it with yeah, with our boy Unterberger. But like we were truly we were tested by this Colangelo thing. I think there there was definitely a push pull of feeling like we as a fan base are speaking to ownership yelling for the most part of how how much he needed to go and how little that we would have accepted just oh he's fine enough people like him and he's respected and who his dad is and bullshit and i think that i commend the entire fan base and even like the reporters who weren't necessarily process people for saying like, no, this is, this can't happen. This is unacceptable and you can't go back from this. And then it tested us personally because we had to do so many podcasts about it. Yep. Somebody on Twitter listened, (laughs) listened to the pre firing and post firing podcast back to back and said it apparently sounded 
very stark differences. <laughs> I could feel us dying. Yeah, no kidding. In the one, <laughs> in the one before. I do think the, um, the one before it, I think the night before, I thought that was a good podcast. I don't think either of us felt like doing it, and we were unhappy during the whole thing, but I think, uh, I think there was some good content in there. And I think you're, yeah. I, this, this is an absurd thing that we're a part of. Like, but the fact that 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 can be that Sixers fans in general, you know, with the 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 core of it being the maniacs can have such an effect is pretty crazy. And I think you're right. I yeah. think we were testing it and I think everyone came through it. I, I'm scared to know what would happen if they had kept him because I do think that was in the cards. And I do think that the pressure made a difference. But, oh, my God, I don't know if we would have survived them keeping him. But. We, we did yeah. did survive this. It, it ended up being a pretty weird day. Uh, Colangelo gets fired. It's Alyssa's birthday. We went to a Sex in the City event. <laughs> by the way. We won a costume. We won a costume contest. Did you see that? Yes. But by the way, everyone appropriately mentioning, like, you just casually saying in 2018, we're going to a Sex in the City event. Like, and I just I let it go. Like, what the fuck is a yeah. Sex in the City event? It was a 20-year reunion. Okay. Uh, or a 20-year uh, anniversary. All right. And so we went to this hotel in Hollywood, and they and uh, Charlotte, Chris, the actress Kristen Davis, came out, and everyone was excited. People dressed up. I dressed up like Steve, uh, yeah. who apparently has one ball, played basketball, and we won the costume contest, took home a bag of vibrators and a couple shirts. So Just your normal, birthday. Your normal I, Thursday. Yeah. Your normal Thursday. I am definitely the only... We're definitely the only Sixers podcast that also has won a Sex in the City costume contest. <laughs> I can, I will lay that claim. <laughs> That's any for day. sure. That's for sure. Uh, all right, before we get to big boards, uh, let's talk about our sponsor, who's going to have more time for your cases now. Now that the Colangelo saga is over, <laughs> that is the official lawyer of the process, the official law firm of the process, Adam Kornblau at Kornblau and Kornblau, the official law firm of the process, the premier personal injury law firm. Uh, boutique personal injury law firm in the Delaware Valley. When I say boutique and when I talk about Cornblow, that means you're getting direct and personal service. If they had kept Brian Colangelo, Cornblow, I believe, would have lived up to his promise about a class action suit to get season ticket holders their money back. Um, he was also offering his services to the Sixers to be able to fire Brian Colangelo with cause so they could get out of the mm. rest of his contract. This is this is the perfect rights to Ricky Sanchez uh advertiser and also the perfect person to you just see his passion for what he does the perfect person to handle your personal injury case there are uh, all kinds of personal injury cases they can handle their specialty being medical malpractice but definitely not the only thing they do they do slip and fall and injured at work and uh, you know car accidents and whatever and a lot of times if your if your collar if your collar is too high at work and it scratches your like upper neck he can handle like that. The ear area is that something that he can handle? Okay. He can handle it. He can handle it. Yeah, absolutely. If if your if your boss is making you wear a collar that is uh, that is uncomfortable, that is causing you emotional or physical distress, that could be. Uh, could you, could you imagine if that blood. came out? <laughs> if, like there's a uniform. It's like the, he made he made us wear uniforms. <laughs> everyone's collar. I don't big. like. <laughs> I haven't seen my neck in a month. Um, he uh, he will take it on. Look, a lot of times people are they are they do get hurt in a car accident, and they're like, ah, eh, maybe it's not bad enough, or they 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 do fall, or they are injured at work, and they don't know like if it's worth it, or even medical malpractice. There's a lot of cases where people are like, oh, it's not worth pursuing. 
let Kornblau pursue it for you. It's, you don't have to do anything, but tell him what happened and he pursues it for you. He will get it done. Um, he will he will let you know what the right decisions to make are. He will lead you through the process, um, and it will be him doing it. If you think you might have a case, give him a call or shoot him an email. It doesn't cost you anything. 215-576-7200. You will get a Cornblow. Ask for Adam or email Cornblow at Cornblow and Cornblow.com. Cornblow spelled with a K, A-N-D spelled out, A-N-D, and the rest. B star star pound sign pound sign. <laughs> Um, all right. Call Cornblow. Big boards. So how do we, I don't remember how we do this. Mine. This, I don't remember how we do it either. First of all, yeah. this is easily the longest in a decade plus that it took for me to do a big board. That's how good the Sixers were this year. That's how juicy this Colangelo story was. I was up late last night finishing it. I just couldn't. It's, I'm blown away by my inaction on the big board of how I mean this is crazy it's a crazy time it is a crazy time so good for the Sixers for being good enough to not have me do and interesting enough for me to not do a big board by like December I did lie to you in that I have 11 on my big board uh, when we're supposed okay. to do 10 I I have 30 so okay <laughs> alright um, <clears throat> and I would like to say that this is the first year and I think it's because the Sixers not having number 1 or 2 or 3 it makes it easier for me to fully commit to what I believe in, in who should be where on the big board. I think okay. you could listen back to last year and know that my heart was definitely with Dennis Smith Jr. and Malik Monk over faults, um, if, you, if you hear the analysis. But the fact that we had number one, like what was I supposed to do? The fact that we have 10 now lets me really lean in to what I really, really, really truly believe. And um, uh, this is the, the YouTube big board that I'm most excited for in all the years I've been doing it. So... Okay. Uh, so, well, my question is, is it, this is a Sixers big board? Well, it is all through the lens of the Sixers, I guess. I, okay. I, I didn't really think, will this guy be there or not? Um, in that, yeah, these are the guys that I would like to watch play the most. Um, in that, like, you'll notice that it is pretty big man free, this big board. Um, sure. And I think that's sort of related, but uh, yeah, I, it's... All I really care about is the Sixers anyway. So, so yes and no. Does that make any sense? Yeah, mine is mine is mostly Sixers-ish as well. Um, but yeah, it's, I feel like for for years we've had like, well, we don't need centers. You should sort of say that, but it's hard to. We've had to reckon with that. Like, well, not that uh, this this big board is a journalistic integrity, but I wanted. Do it, be it, do it straight in that, like, were, you know, say, DeAndre Ayton to fall to 10 somehow. Do the Sixers right. take him even though he doesn't fit at all? Like, it's that, there's that question of, of, of what you value in terms of talent versus fit. Because I used to be all, I used to be very BPA, best player available, just take a, whatever happens. Um, but I do think so much now that fit, matters in the sense that like role matters and situation matters um like i think i talk about this all the time but i think had the sixers not traded andre or had the sixers traded andre godala before evan turner came in and just let him grow into that i think it would have been he would have evan turner's obviously not great but he would have become the player he eventually became quicker in because he got to work through those things rather than playing behind or next to a similar type of player so i do think that 
you know, and not, not that you need to, everybody needs to start right away, but I think there's situations where those kinds of things matters. And I don't think Donovan Mitchell would have been Donovan Mitchell on every team, all these things. So I, I do think that that matters, but at a, at a certain point, you just need all the, the best guys you can get too. Yeah. I mean, I only have one uh, big man on my big board, but that's truly because he's the only big man that I liked watching uh, on YouTube. So, you know, based on my scouting, but he's so you're so you're telling me one uh, only one of yeah DeAndre Ayton, Jaron Jackson, Marvin Bagley, Wendell Carter, Mo Bamba. Only one of them is in your top eleven. Correct. Okay. Now this guy would have been higher, I think, had the Sixers have a, a different situation. That's what I would say. Sure. Sure. Uh, so how do you do you want to like what do you want to do do you want to trade off like 10 for 10 because the problem is well i don't know i don't even know how to do this i think i think i think we go your big bird big board first okay and i'll tell you if they're on mine or not and then right. i can run through mine afterwards okay number 11 uh i have mo bamba he is okay. the only the only big man i have and i i do have comments on the other big men and what i thought of them like I look at you can this, save them. You can save them for mine. Right, right, right. Because you will have them, uh, or at least you know some of them. I, I don't know. I watch this guy like physically. He is a monster, and it isn't just like physically he's a monster and like he doesn't know at all what he's doing playing basketball. It looks like mm-hmm. he's at like a little bit at least knows what he's doing playing basketball offensively. And I just think, given where the NBA is. If I'm if you're gonna give me a a big guy and and tell me like of the guys I looked at and say this guy has the best chance of translating into the NBA at some point I would take Mo Bamba. All right, so Mo Bamba, center out of Texas, yep. longest wingspan ever recorded in the draft, uh, seven foot ten wingspan. He's a smart kid. He's gone to uh, Sloan Analytics Conference twice, asked about uh, pick and roll coverage. Uh, seems like a really bright kid. Um, very, very like Rudy Gobert starter kit with uh, potential to have an outside shot. Didn't really shoot too well, but the th- he projects to have a, a three point shot. Yeah, like it doesn't look bad. It, it looks like he, that's what I mean yeah. by it. it looks like he knows what he's doing. So yeah. um, at this point, do you just say where he is on yours or no? No. Okay. All right. So number because I haven't decided if I'm going to do all thirty of mine yet. I'm just, okay. <laughs> we'll see. Um, number ten, I have uh, Zaire Smith. Okay, he's on mine. Now I struggled with him a little bit because it doesn't look like he is good at any of the things that I like in basketball players in uh, dribbling and shooting. Um, however, the uh, the dunking is fantastic physically like he is he is the problem with the youtube big board in that i it does not look like he is a basketball player yet but i remember i i do like um what's his name now um uh the guard in chicago that was on minnesota oh i can't remember his name Um, chris dunn no uh zach levine zach levine and I remember not including Levine because I'm like, ah, he's just a good dunker and so on and so forth. Now, he's obviously more skilled than Zaire Smith is, but um, I don't know. I look at this guy physically, and I think if you could 
make him good. And again, just like I said with Mobamba, it doesn't look like he's a, a spaz at the other things. It just doesn't look like any of them are particularly refined. Um, I liked him. All right, so Zaire Smith, two guard out of Texas Tech, freshman, one of the youngest guys in the draft, um, projects – he sort of like – what I like most about Zaire Smith is that you watch him play, and he's – despite the fact that he was not highly ranked coming into college and seems to be this very raw type of player, you, you look at the athleticism package and you think like, wow, Gerald Green-esque. He's actually a very high IQ player. You watch him, he just makes a simple play. He moves the ball well. His assist-to-turnover ratio is good, which is not, which you can't generally say for, for these types of guys. And so he played a very role-playery role in at Texas Tech next to Keenan Evans, who was their, who was their star. But there's, there's excitement because of how much athleticism and quickness there is there that he could turn into something else. And uh, I, I, too, I, too, like him a lot. Number nine, um, I, I know everyone on Twitter is waiting for the Ag Abdel Nabi uh, <laughs> moment of the, the podcast. Obviously, I was, I was happy you got through Zaire. Yeah, I, I can't predict those because I didn't know Ag was wrong. So uh, if that happens, I'm great. If it doesn't happen, great. It could happen with this one because I don't know how to say this guy's name. Cree Thomas? Is it? Kyrie. Kyrie. Okay. Um, Cree. I, I have it written down as K-H-R-I. Is that how you spell his name? K-H-Y-R-I. Oh, maybe that's the problem. Well, there you go. There's there you your, go. your Og moment. Um, yeah. So I watched this guy, and I'm like, he's definitely an NBA player. Like, he has an NBA body. He has, uh, he's a good shooter. Like, he just looks like um, there are certain guys that I watch in college. I always thought this way when I watched Josh Hart. I watched him. I was like, oh, definitely NBA guy. Um, now, unfortunately, I also watched uh, Emmanuel Moutier, and I looked at him physically, and I was like, definitely NBA guy, and I, I'm probably wrong. But this guy's definitely refined, and like, I imagine he is, at worst, a rotation guard. So that is yeah. my – I like him. I, I, lo- I love Kyrie Thomas also. He's, you have him very high, obviously. This is, this is how your YouTube big board works. Um, he's a little old. He's 22 at this point. Um, was on Creighton, two-guard, very, like – Patrick Beverly with a like a longer wingspan type. Uh, I definitely think there is um, some Donovan Mitchell potential to his game if he if he starts to develop in the way that Mitchell did in, in from Louisville to to the NBA. Uh, but Kyrie's calling card is definitely defense. It is he's a he's a beast on there. He can make plays. He's active and he's definitely going to be able to compete defensively. He's got a six ten and a half wingspan. Um, and he's a decent shooter. Shot 41% from three this year, 79% from the line. Uh, I really like him a lot also. Number eight. Um, now, I was a little conflicted on this guy as I was with Zaire Smith. I have Lonnie Walker. Um, okay. So not really a good dribbler either, which drives me fucking crazy when – Guards are not good dribblers. Like, the two things you should be able to do is dribble and shoot if you're a guard. However, um, physically, um, like, definitely NBA body, like, physically. And um, honestly, when I see guards with doing putback dunks, just, like, willingness to offensive rebound seems like it's there. Um, And he can shoot already, too. So, at worst... It seems like you have a a great 
like physically great, physically athletically great, and a good shooter. And I don't like, I don't know. It seems like you can make him into an NBA player too. Yeah, Lonnie Walker, uh, freshman two guard out of Miami, uh, from Reading, PA. If you didn't know that, did not know it. Uh, great hair, very uh, incredible, hair. iconic, yep. I- iconic hair. Uh, yeah, pretty classic two guard. He has, I would say, he has a functional dribble game. Uh, not not a tight handle, but he can use the, use the dribble to get to the rim. Uh, he's fast. He's long. He, he competes on defense, and uh, he's he projects to be a. He didn't shoot crazy well at Miami. There was a their their point guard is a guy named Bruce Brown, who also is uh, coming out of the draft this year, and. Bruce was hurt for some of the season and isn't also like the most pass first guy. So I think Lonnie with, with in, in a more open and free system where he isn't counted on to necessarily do as much could succeed. Also, he's young. So uh, I do like Lonnie Walker and shouts to the guy in my mentions who just tweets Lonnie Walker in all caps at me has done it for every like pretty much every day for the last two weeks. So I hope he's happy. Um, all right, next one. Uh, number seven, uh, I have Gary Trent Jr. Um, oh, wow. What, is that not good? Wow. <laughs> this is a little crazy. Let's okay. hear it. What do you like? Well, so he reminded me a little bit of um, Kyrie Thomas in that, like, he lo- already looks like an NBA player to me. He is uh, physically an NBA player. He's already uh, a good shooter. Um, like I like guys that when they come into the league, there's such an enormous difference in the physical, not that they push them around, but just in the difference between man bodies and kid bodies, like, like a 20 year old and a 28 year old. And he looks like he is developed past that point. So, um, or developed past like what a, a college guy looks like. So I always like that can already shoot. And I wrote, would rather have him than Trey young. Um, that's what I well, got. So def- definitely can shoot. Shot 40% from deep at Duke. Two guard. His dad played in the NBA as a, as a very yeah. different kind of player. Uh, shot 88% from the line. Uh, he just doesn't. I don't think he's a very smart player. Uh, I don't think. He, he, he like falls asleep. He makes some bad decisions. And he really didn't play any defense this year. Now, in the, in the combine, in like the five-on-five, five, whatever, he did play defense. And people were excited about that. So if, if, you, if you value that. Uh, type of atmosphere, then maybe maybe there's untapped potential that he could lock into. But uh, for me, he's a guy that I just sort of didn't believe in. I th- I think he might be like a just an idiot. I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I, don't I don't know. know. I don't know that I believe. I don't. I don't know that I believe in him. But uh, two guard Duke and the ring, Ringer uh, draft guide by uh, Kevin O'Connor, Danny Chow, and Jonathan Charks has. Uh, uh, for one of his comps has Hollis Thompson. So I appreciate that. <laughs> a lo- lower IQ Hollis Thompson, maybe I'd be interested in. But I, and he definitely, has, you're right about the body. Like his NBA body is there. He should be, he should be better. He's just kind of not. He, okay. he should be better. Number six, um, I have uh, Dante DiVincenzo. Um, wow, I like this. So here's the problem with him. His face, he looks like he's probably dumb, um, which concerns me. But um, he is a good shooter. He is a good dribbler. It looks like he has good touch around the rim. He's a really good athlete. Um, I honestly 
can't figure out why you know people are talking to him about him at the end of the first round like i can't figure out in watching him why he is not thought of higher so um i know obviously uh the number six is is crazy this is <laughs> my list but uh, he looks like he is also an nba player yeah well so dante divincenzo sort yeah. of two guard for no- for nova uh played people know who listen to this podcast and who dante is but um he's kind of old to have broken out at this point he's 21 um to for this to be like his first sort of coming out party he was very role player at nova until he sort of took over in the in the ncaa tournament um he's not that long wingspan 6'6 but he graded out athletically incredibly well at the combine one of the best uh uh, jumps what's the standing jump at the combine uh, shot 40% from deep only 71% from the line um, sort of a pressure cooker scorer makes plays put back dunks uh, very chase down block kind of guy but uh, there's a question of if he's going to defend there's a question of how well he plays within a within a team setting, but I, I like him a lot too. He's, he went, he moved all over my board, like all over it. I, I keep going back and forth as to where I'd rank him, but I too think he's an NBA player. I watched a lot of Nova this year and I just think that he knows how to play and can get where he wants on the court because he's strong and fast and has a decent handle. So cool. Um, and I didn't want to like him because like, uh, American white guys, um, like, you got to sell me, but, uh, but he seems like he's good. So I'm in, um, I believe, I believe he's not, I think he's only half white. Oh, okay. Well, even better. <laughs> um, <laughs> number five, I have, uh, Anthony Simons. Um, wow. wow. <laughs> I don't know, man. Okay. First thing he has two first names, but neither of them are actual first names. Like, it's Simons, which is not a first name, and Anthony is a fake first name anyway. Um, great shooter, great dunker, uh, like, you know, guardy wing player. I, I don't know. Like, like I, this super young, so, you know, mad upside, right? I, this guy looks awesome. I would love to have him on the Sixers. Give me Anthony Simons. Uh, so he came right out of high school? Yep, I saw that. Um, there's a question of who he really played against. He's he's very raw. He's nowhere near my big board. I think <laughs> the Sixers. He wouldn't get any minutes on the Sixers. Uh, I truthfully didn't spend much time on Anthony Simons. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Levin. Um, number four. Now I struggled with this one. Um, because Wait, I want to know why why Anthony Simons over. Zaire Smith. Um, I don't know. It looked like he was better at basketball, but that might be because he's playing against worse people, so he can like sort of do more. If that makes any sense, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, number four. Now I struggled with this one because he does have one thing that I don't love, and I will get to that. You could probably guess what it is, but number four, I have Miles Bridges. Um, I look at. In the NBA, guys like P.J. Tucker and Draymond Green being, like, important players. And mm-hmm. he seems like that kind of guy. Um, good at defense, good dunker, 
can shoot. You know, you looked at Draymond Green couldn't shoot. I probably still can't even really shoot coming out of college. Um, I liked him a lot. Like I watched when you start getting to this uh, level, I watch like I keep watching the YouTube. Like if you can keep me, it means that you're good. I liked watching him. It does look like he is fat, um, which is (laughs) a concern for me. But it looks like his athleticism, because that is always an indication of how hard you work, because Boy, you really got to eat a lot to be fat and also be a a, a, a basketball player. Um, but uh, I think uh, I think he is definitely an NBA player and seems like a 2018 NBA player. Yeah, I I Miles Bridges is another guy I went all over the place with because I I have a tendency to fall in love with uh, baby fat athletes that that that, that can jump, but. He played out of position in Michigan State this year. They played him at the three, and he really is a four, um, just foot speed wise. He can cover all these all these places, but he was he sort of had to move down. You want him to be taking advantage of mismatches um, because he can get past bigger guys, and he should be able to post up smaller guys. Michigan State had Jaron Jackson Jr. and Nick Ward, among other uh, big men, that were sort of clogging the paint. And and uh, it sort of relegated Miles Bridges to be more of a shooter. He's left out of Michigan State, not as long as you sort of want. He's I think his wingspan is only like six nine, right? Um, but he plays smart, really athletic, uh, leaps off two feet. Um, to me, when I'm pessimistic about Miles Bridges, I look at him and say, "What really is the difference between him and Justin Anderson?" And I have a I have a tough time answering that sometimes. But then I look at, like, he's a role player, fun in transition, should be able to defend, uh, definitely has better handles than Justin Anderson. Um, but I, I go back and forth depending on the day with Miles Bridges. But I have, him, I have him pretty high, but I don't know. I think, I think, it will be, I think he will be fine. I don't, I don't know, to me, how much upside is there because of – I don't know that, that he has a ton of, like, isolation scoring instincts and i don't know that the the shot is quick enough to get it off coming around screens but if he defends then i i do think he can be a he can be a good player number three i'm a little worried about this one as his name uh is hard for me to pronounce um number three i have shy gilgius alexander that's pretty close oh okay i've heard it pronounced shay or shy i stay shy Okay. Uh, Shy Gilgis Alexander. Gilgis. Okay. Uh, He is awesome. Um, Awesome on defense. Um, Good handle. Uh, Can shoot. Cool hair. Super explosive. I I wrote A++ next to his name and the best, like, straight backcourt guy in the draft. Like, the best um, guard guy in the draft. Yeah, so Gilgis Alexander is a point guard from Kentucky. Uh, can play off the ball also. Um, he's long. He's six six with like a pretty much seven foot wingspan. Uh, I have him pretty high as well, and I'm excited to hear that you do as well. He's not. He doesn't have a ton of bounce. He uses. He uses. Danny Chow talked about him in a way that he said he decelerates very well getting to the rim, he sort of just gets wherever he wants on the court. And when Kentucky sort of handed the reins over to him, because um, he, he was only a four-star recruit coming in, when they when they gave him the offense, they got a lot better. And I just think he makes 
the right play all of the time. And I watched him a lot this year, and I rooted against Kentucky a lot this year. And he just seemed to always do the right thing on the court, play smart. The question about the jump shot is how willing he is to take it, how quick it is. He's a pretty slow release, and he didn't take many shots. But he did shoot 40% from deep, and he shot 82% from the line. Um, he's a smart player. He's long. He can switch on to anything. I do think he'd be able to share a backcourt with Fultz, um, provided Fultz is shooting again. But I think in the in today's NBA of you need multiple ball handlers, multiple penetrators, and how lacking in that the Sixers were this year, I like Shy a lot. I I also now that um, we've you know we've been through this looking at I don't just look at the forty percent thing like you always look at free throws after you look at a guy shot forty percent in college from three um, and the fact that he shot free throws well was um, who's the guy that went to Sacramento that Sharp loved um, De'Aaron Fox De'Aaron Fox like I think shot okay from three in college but his free throws like led you to believe that it was sort of bullshit and so this guy not bullshit. Um, number two, everybody talks about the Sixers getting McCall Bridges at 10. There's no fucking way that guy lasts till 10, according to, I have him number two. Um, he looks exactly like an NBA player. Um, he's a, Mm -hmm. a, a good athlete and a good shooter and a good defender. And, um, like, it doesn't look like he creates much on his own, but given what is important in the NBA, I, I like this guy to me, I was, it seems like there's absolutely no chance he'll be there at 10. Everybody sort of pegs him in at 10. I I don't know. I thought he was awesome. And this is a guy, me, who I am like anti Villanova in general, just as a leftover Syracuse thing. Like, I don't want to like those guys, but he's, he's awesome. Like he's definitely going to be an NBA player. Great guy. Uh, He's old. He's, he's going to be 22 before the season starts. And so there's the question of like, a lot of a lot of people when they talk about other guys in the draft, they talk about like, would you take you know Lonnie Walker as a freshman over McCall Bridges as a freshman? And that's absolute that's absolutely what you do because McCall Bridges was nowhere near the player he is now as a freshman. But he's grown each year. He's turned himself into a really good shooter. Uh, he went from having like pretty much no shot to being able to hit shots off the catch uh, with very limited space. Um, he has improved his handle. He's very switchable on defense. He's long. He's got a seven two wingspan. Um, very three and D type, and I I do think that with McCall, uh, people say McHale. I like I don't know. No one knows how to pronounce anybody's name. They should just have to say their name out loud so everyone knows how to pronounce it before they draft them. Uh, I do think that there's untapped potential there. I think in the way that, and just seeing how much better he got year to year, and how smart he is defensively, and how he moves the ball well, plays within Nova's offense. Jay Wright's offense was sort of similar to Brett's in that they just like sort of space the floor and play fast and get good looks quick. And I think he'd be great here. I, lo- I love McCall Bridges. I, uh, I really, really believe in him as an NBA player. He's, he's pretty thin. That's the only knock is that he's not – he could get pushed around a little bit. But I, I buy his positional for versatility. I buy the jump shot. Uh, I buy the defense. I'm, I'm all in for sure. And I, I, he's, he's either going to get to – like unless – if, if LeBron stays, I could see the Cavs taking him at eight. I, I worry that the Knicks are going to take him at nine, but I, I don't think he goes before eight. So he's the guy that I want the most at 10 and think will be there at 10. And number one, I have. Now I understand. I didn't know this guy had a, uh, a back injury. Um, number one, I have Michael Porter Jr. Um, 
Now, interesting. The the problem I this have is with- very this is very I don't watch college basketball. Love you, which is not not a knock. Yeah, uh, it just is. When, when cover, it just yeah. is the case. Yeah, and I you know whatever. I don't think a lot of us don't watch college basketball. So I'm you know I'm just this is what I know. And the only negative I thought of this guy when I'm watching him I was like, well, he looks like he could be related to the ball guys, like you know his face. Um, but aside from that, dude, this guy, um, wing guys that can shoot and dribble and dunk and like, uh, like create and all those sorts of things. Like he looks like awesome. Now I, uh, I was talking to Joe Giglio yesterday and he was like, didn't he only play like three college games because he like broke his back? And I was like, Oh yeah, I didn't know. Um, but I don't know. He looks awesome. I would, uh. He looks like franchise player kind of guy when I'm watching him. And I didn't see a ton of those guys when I was watching, but he looks like a franchise player type guy. He could be, yeah. So he had back surgery for a, a injury to his disc uh, in his spine. Um, uh, he was really bad at Missouri, the three games that he played, but that's fine because he came back from injury. He probably shouldn't have came back at all. Um, 6'10", with like a 7-foot wingspan, so not crazy long for how tall he is. Um, I, I just worry about what he does when he's not scoring and the fact that he doesn't necessarily score efficiently. He's not a great shooter. He has good handle, but he's not a point guard. Uh, I don't know if he's really going to defend. He's not a great passer. I just think there, there's, there's a lot of, I think he might be. The guy I thought Jason Tatum was, right? Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't really like him as much as. But, but I could also, you know, I watched college basketball. I saw him play this year, and so if he didn't play at all, then maybe I'd be more excited about it. But I, I don't think you. I don't think you should overrate. We should overrate the three games that he played. But I just, I don't know that I see it. I think there's there might be like some Rudy Gay or Tobias Harris to his game where you're like, oh. You're, are you just like stats on a bad team? Mm-hmm. I don't know if like I don't know. I there's a very there's a chance he's Harrison Barnes. In a well, I'd take Harrison Barnes on this team. Yeah, but number one. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. Um, the other guys I have notes on, and we can do them when you do your big board. I have notes on DeAndre Ayton, Luka Doncic, Marvin Bagley, Jaron Jackson, Wendell Carter, Trey Young, and Colin Sexton. So so just for you have. No Luka Doncic, no Jaron Jackson, no DeAndre Ayton, yep. no Wendell Carter, no Marvin Bagley, no Trey Young, yes. no Colin Sexton. Correct. Correct. That's Here you board. go. There this is the board. 2018 Spike Eskin YouTube big board. I think it's always like a, you know, you said when we talked about it before that it made you mad, but it seems like the last couple of years there are like fun surprises for you that you seem to enjoy actually like no, I, did, I do enjoy it yeah i enjoyed yeah. it this year i enjoyed it yeah. this year more than i than in years yeah. past all right well before we get to your big board let's talk about our other sponsor um for this show which is ll pavorsky jewelers the official jeweler of the right Ricky sanchez podcast and of the process 84 mike 84 right Ricky sanchez listeners have purchased uh engagement rings at ll pavorsky jewelers i want to get to 100 yeah, now I said at a hundred I would marry the couple, but that's obviously up to the couple. And uh, until Alan and Chandler get their act together and get married, 
Um, I will have not done that yet. So, you know, there's that. What, two things that are, three things that our, our sponsors on this podcast share with each other. One, they're both obsessed with uh, the Sixers and the process. That's great. But two and three are that these are, you know, huge decisions of who to go with. Like like we were saying with Cornblow, picking a personal injury lawyer is a hard choice. Picking a jeweler to buy an engagement ring, hard choice. Um, and then the other thing is being able to trust the the person that you're going with. That's really important when you're buying an engagement ring because they're expensive. Whether it's $1,000 or $5,000 or $10,000 or $100,000, it's, it's a lot of money to you. And it's a thing where you go in and you look at, engagement rings i don't know what the fuck is good and what isn't like i can tell you what's pretty but you could sell me a hundred something that's worth a hundred dollars and charge me ten thousand dollars for it and i don't know the difference that's why it's important to have a guy like ll that you trust when you go into ll pavorsky jewelers it's him it's the owner it's a guy that's been there 30 years that's going to sell you the ring it's not some other person it's not some sales guy it's always ll and he is a he's trustworthy the um the the jewelry is awesome he's going to give you a great price and the most important thing is that like he is going to make the process of buying the ring one that you will feel positive about and not like worried or scared or you're not going to walk out of there feeling like you got ripped off or pressured or anything like that if you want to buy an engagement ring from LL, make an appointment before you go in there so he can like get more information about what you and you what you and, and the person you're buying the ring for want. 215-627-2252 is the phone number. Uh, he's at 707 Walnut. You can email him at llpavorsky.com or tweet him at llpavorsky. For every podcast, LL makes generous donations to our charities, which are new for this year. We like to change yeah. it up every year or so. Um, mine went from Justice Rescue, which I still love, obviously, to the Providence Animal Center, which is a no-kill uh, shelter in Media, Pennsylvania, in Delco. They do great work. So, And yours is new as well, which is Coded by Kids, correct? Yeah. You want to talk a little a bit Phil- about what it is? Yeah, it's a, it's a Philadelphia-based uh, nonprofit that they give uh, like tech industry exposure and education to kids who lack the opportunities. Um, Seems like a really good charity. Seems like good dudes running it. Good people. Uh, real world tech skills and a support system with a people of people with experience uh, from kids that are like between five and eighteen. And it seems really cool. And I like the idea of uh, helping kids when they're young, and hopefully they can grow into and have like real careers and stuff. So it seems I'm excited about this. Uh, coded by kids, which is a great charity. Awesome. And obviously, like, uh, LL and, and we do the donations, but you listening at home, you can, you know, volunteer or donate as well. We, that's part of the reason we, we do this is so we, we raise awareness and get other people involved. LL yeah, and trying, oh. Sorry, I know Coded by Kids is trying to open up more uh, places in the Philadelphia area. I think they've won, they're opening one in Matt Airy. Um, so, yeah, hopefully this will help them out. LL Pavorsky Jewelers. Find a new antique finish. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, that, was, that was all in the performance, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. So, of course, we have coming up at the end of the podcast, we have Andrew Unterberger to give his uh, soliloquy, his eulogy on Brian Colangelo. But now we have the Mike Levin big board as we head into the NBA draft. What do you got, Mike? Yeah, so I, watched, I, I did watch a lot of college basketball this year. And obviously, there's guys that you see more of and you feel very comfortable with, like Shea Gilgis Alexander is a guy that I've seen a lot of. All, both of the Nova guys, I've seen a ton of. Um, I do have 30, but I keep changing it around. So let's just start with uh, let's start with 
Let's go 20. I'll do 20. Is that okay? Is that yeah. fair? Yeah. All right. So 20, I have Colin Sexton. Uh, he's a freshman point guard from Alabama, was one of the most heralded recruits coming into college this season. Um, he's not as big as you want. He's. I think there's a lot of uh, Moutier to him. There's a little John Wall to him. I, I really enjoyed watching him play. That Alabama team was one of my favorite teams this year. Um, but I look at what actually can he do at an NBA level and and who, will he defend, will he shoot, those kinds of things. And I think that, that those things matter, especially shooting really matters in a, in a point guard if you're going to give him the ball, especially opposite Ben Simmons. And I think, he, I think he'll be fine as like a come-in-as-a-six-man guy, but um, while I like the body, I like his aggressiveness, uh, I like the attitude, I don't necessarily know if he's going to be uh, a great NBA player. What were your takes on Sexton? Uh, I have cool hair, really fast, looks like he makes a lot of shots by accident, and that's all I've got. Very fast. There's a thing you'll like about him, actually. He played, he ended up playing, I think, because a bunch of guys fouled out in, in against, uh, I think it was Minnesota. He played uh, four on five, or three on five, rather, in, in a game that they had too many guys foul out and weren't available. Oh, I and saw he, that. Yeah, I and saw like And they, like, hung in the game three yep. on five which is crazy but that's like the kind of player he is um i just don't necessarily know that he's going he, he's gonna get he wasn't super efficient in college and I, I think it might even get less efficient in the nba i want to like him more than i actually do okay 19 um so that's 20 19 i got jacob evans who is a classic three and d guy from cincinnati uh not nothing is going to jump out at you when you watch him play aside from just like he's a very smart player and he knows where to be and knows where to position his body, uh, can hit shots, can dribble a little bit. Um, not going to break his man, man down off the dribble, but just seems very like classic 3 and D guy, Sterling Brown-esque. Uh, I think he's just going to have a role in the NBA. Uh, so that's 19. 18, I have DiVincenzo. Okay, go ahead. Uh, I have DiVincenzo at 18. He, I, you know, we talked about him before, but I, I just like the guy. I think he'll, I think he'll compete. I think he'll defend. Um, he's, his athleticism is crazy. Uh, put back dunks. I think he's going to be great off ball. I think he can get his own shot sometimes. I really like him. I, I, 18 is sort of in the middle of where, where I had him. I had him a little bit lower at some point. I had him a little higher, higher at some point, but 18 is sort of, it's a safe bet. And if they ended up getting him at 26, I'd be, if they end up getting Bridges and DiVincenzo as, as Nova as that would be, as Philly as that would be, I think that would actually be a really good draft. Um, 17, I have Kyrie Thomas, your boy from Creighton. Yep. Uh, I really like him. I like guys that can defend. That's my whole, my whole thing with this draft and really my ethos going forward is like, you got to be able to defend. You got to be able to defend multiple positions. If you get beat every time it does, it sort of doesn't matter how good you are offensively. Um, and I think that he, his his jumper of like a three and D guard with the jumper and, and the potential for adding more dribble drive to his game. Uh, I see, a, I see some of the things I saw with Donovan Mitchell in Kyrie Thomas and I really like him a lot. He's a little bit old um, and the competition wasn't as high, but I, I do like, I do like him a lot. 16 is a guy that I don't think that you watched. Cause if you did, I think you would have him higher. Uh, Georgia tech two guard, Josh Okogi. Did you watch no. him? No, I don't think so. Well, maybe I did, and I didn't write anything down, but I don't. I don't remember. I think you should watch him. He played 
out of position in that like he was the guy at Georgia Tech. Um, they didn't really have almost anybody else, especially in the guards. Um, he's incredibly bouncy, one of the most athletic guys in the draft. Good shooter, good defender. Uh, I, again, see some Donovan Mitchell here. Um, the, he, he had, whereas some of these other guys could potentially like get his, get their own shot or like get it. He had to, because Georgia tech had nobody else. Um, he's not great at it yet, but I, I think that with the athleticism, there's a lot there. Um, do you know, do you remember Daniel Nawaba who played yes. for the Lakers and then, yep. and then Chicago. And when he came in from the D league, it was like, holy shit, this guy just like competes and is an athlete. And it's crazy. I think he's Nawaba with, uh, with a little bit more, potential better to shoot um so i i believe in josh okogi a lot he is um he's only he's not even 20 yet but he's very versatile defensively um i like guys who can defend that's it um next up 15 i ranked him pretty low compared to everybody else but i did have him here just because of how good he is at the things he's good at trey young um I don't think that he's going to be Steph Curry. I think it's it's maybe a cop out, but it's easy to say like, oh, he's more Seth Curry. Um, but you watch I him actually, play, and he's he's a I'm, he's a. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I no, had a, go ahead. I had his comp as Jimmer Fredette. I was like, I I just don't. He's not explosive enough for how small he is, and like, I don't know. I'm just not he's, buying. He's definitely he, not explosive. Yeah, like I'm not buying what he does like that works in college in the NBA. It's a lot of like lead guards in college that can score. Um, you know, a lot of times doesn't translate to the NBA. And I, I don't know. I watch him. I'm not impressed, really. So the, diff- the difference with Trey Young and, and Jimmer is that Trey Young's a really good passer and a smart passer. Uh, and he can run an offense. I think him in a pick and roll would be really fun. If, if, his, if his guy's rolling, if he has teammates that can actually shoot. He played at Oklahoma where he didn't have much to work with. Um, and, the, and the defense was focusing on him uh two or three guys on every play and i don't love him clearly i I just don't think he's ever going to defend he's really small he's really frail um he gets by on using his hands well defensively so he'll get he'll get some steals but i think the way the nba is now he's just going to get picked apart on every possession so but on this team would it be cool to have him just come in there and just like bang threes and like handle the second and third quarters like yeah That'd be cool. So I have him at 15, which is which is like, again, sort of in between where I, where people have him for his offense and where I'd want to have him if I if I wasn't embarrassed. Uh, 14, I have Mobamba. Uh, I in 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 the bigs that I have now and the bigs to come, I I think that you want somebody to that you're comfortable with backing up Embiid. You don't you can't necessarily know if he's going to be healthy. As sad as that is. So it would be important to have a big guy, whether that's Jonah Bolden, it's probably not Rashawn, sadly, um, that can step in there and play major consistent minutes and grow into a viable option to where if they get good enough, then we can trade him. But um, I think you you want more Embiid insurance than the Sixers currently have. Uh, and Mobamba, as long, he, he sort of, uh, there's questions about the motor, about how much he falls asleep a little bit on the court, sort of like forgets how long and athletic he is, but it's really hard to score against him. Um, he is just also very thin and needs to put on a ton of weight, but he's, he was working with Embiid in the, uh, during the season 
and he has the same trainer and stuff. So I, I like Bombay. I, he's a nice guy, but I, I don't have him crazy high because of the fit here. It would, he would just be a backup. And so I don't, I, I would need to see a lot more consistency before I'm, especially with the jumper before I'm ready to go for it. 13 this is the guy that I'm taking a swing on. Uh, you haven't watched him, but I think you'd like him. Uh, he's a French guard named Elia Kobo. Oh, uh, I did watch him, I think. You, you did watch him, okay. Y- yeah, uh, I, the, the problem with like these... Um, so I feel like tricked by Luau is like <laughs> you, you watch these, um, not because he's French, but you watch these international guys and they look super, they look athletic enough over there and then they come over here and it's just like, I don't know. I like. I got tricked twice. I got tricked with. Uh, well, maybe that guy will end up being good. The uh, the guy Orlando that I had number one. Um, uh, Hazonia. Uh, Hazonia. Like I'm just like that. I watched it. I was like, ah, I can't tell if this guy's good. So that that was sure. my take. Maybe the maybe it's the air quality over there. Who knows? Maybe. Uh, maybe. Akobo is a lefty. He wears number zero, like your boy Isaiah Cannon. Uh, he's six three. His wingspan's probably in the six nine ish range. Is what I saw it at. Um, scoring guard. Uh, can pull up from anywhere, uh, has a couple crafty finishes. I think he's long enough to, to get to the rim. He's quick. Uh, he shot well from three, 41%, 84% from the line. Um, I think he's a pretty good passer, has, has good instincts there. To me, wouldn't be, he'd be kind of perfect next to a guy like Simmons in that uh, he's not good enough at leading a team to be um, the lead point guard but with Simmons there he can play off the ball he can come off screens he can he can cut off the ball anything so I like him I think he's good um and I think he'll defend also which is a lot of times you see these uh international guys and the question is are they going to be able to handle NBA uh physicality and and switchability and I I he competes down low against bigger guys and I think he has quick hands um and he's 20 he's he's just under 21 all right, so that was thirteen twelve. I have Michael Porter Jr. We talked about him. I this is also a hedge. Like I want to rank him lower, but I'm scared that he's that he does have that uh, superstar potential if he can score at an efficient level. I don't know that he does or he will, but this is a hedge for sure. Uh, Eleven, I have Alani Walker. Also, somebody we talked about Miami two guard hair. Yeah. Um, with Lonnie, I worry that. I have him a little bit lower because people people are excited about him being able to come in right away, but he is young and he did make some uh, mistakes due to youth in Miami. So what I'm looking for right now, just because of how Luau and Korkmaz just both weren't ready, I, I am valuing, not entirely, but I am valuing NBA readiness here. And so Lonnie is a guy that I think is could play in a lot of places, but I, I I think he might struggle to get consistent time here. Even though he will defend, I think there'd be some there'd be some frustrating moments because he's young and he, he is still figuring out what shots are good shots. Ten is a guy that I'm surprised you don't have. Um, maybe it's your anti-white bias, but it's uh, Kevin Herter. Um, mm, I don't remember him. Two guard out of Maryland, Tanner Stidell. Um He's young. He's uh, young for a sophomore. He's not even 20 yet. Uh, he is a really he's his stock has been rising a lot over the last uh, month or so. Really good shooter, comes comes around screens uh, like Corver and Clay and JJ. 
can hit. And then what, what's impressed me most in watching the tape more of him is, is his handle and his ability to be like a secondary creator. Uh, he can move with the ball. He can find guys. Maryland was not a good team, um, but he's good enough to where, like, in a different situation, I think he'd be very valuable. Um, and he also tested really well athletically in a way that uh, you don't expect because he's white and played pretty solid defense and uh, high IQ player. I think he's going to be able to defend multiple positions. I worry a little bit that, like, all of a sudden there's this hype for this guy, that's sort of a workout uh, Mamula type when you just start rising after the season um, but I like him I think he's going to play he's at least going to shoot and I think if he can shoot defend uh, a couple positions and uh, initiate a little bit or at least attack closeouts I think he'll be a good NBA player um, nine a guy I don't like at all but again I'm too scared to make a call on is Marvin Bagley yeah. Um, Danny Chow called him, and I'm gonna if, if we if we can get Danny on, which I think hopefully we'll be able to. Uh, Danny Chow called him uh, Brandon Wright, which like Yikes. Mid- midway through the season, which just like threw me. I fell over when I heard it, and it feels absolutely perfect. He's obviously more athletic. He's obviously more ferocious, and there's a chance that the jumper is real. Um, I just don't know what what, what position he defends. I don't know. He seems so much like an empty stats on a bad team kind of player. Um, he didn't have to do anything at Duke, but uh, sort of fill the fill the lane in transition and, and dunk. Uh, but he did hit a couple. He he did hit tough shots and tough threes regularly. So maybe it's real. I can't really tell. So I I had him at nine to be safe. Um, I don't know. Does he, he's not he's not long enough and he's not a defensive presence enough to play consistent minutes at the five, but he kind of has to be right in order to play in the NBA. And, and, and I don't think the Sixers are the right fit for him. They won't get him anyway. But anyway, uh, next up, Wendell Carter, his uh, the guy he played with at Duke. There's a lot of Al Horford to him. <laughs> I put um, good moves, but slow as crap. That was my yeah. notes with Wendell Carter. He. He's he's a really smart player. He he almost went to he, his last two colleges that he was deciding between were Duke and Harvard. Uh, I wish he went to Harvard. Obviously, would have been cool. Um, he's an he's a really interesting guy. I think uh, he's he's a good shot blocker. He's a smart player. He can he's a stretch five. I think that's the kind of thing you want out of him out of Embiid or when Embiid's not in there is a guy that can protect the rim and also just open the court up. So when Embiid's not in there. They can, in the same way that Omari Spellman was for Nova this year, that just the court is wide open. They can just have play four or five out, and ha- and just play spread and 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 make the other team defend you from way out there. And so Wendell Carter has that ability. Good shooter, very tight, compact release. Um, I think he's just going to be a really solid NBA player. And uh, as much as we're scared of Duke Big Men after what happened, sort of even <laughs> lumbering esque Duke Big Men, I think they're. I think he's good enough to where, to where he he'd be uh, he'd be a solid pick if if he if he lands at tw- if he lands at ten if they think that's like oh we're just gonna we need this guy's just the best prospect available I wouldn't mind them taking him at ten I don't think he's gonna last that long but I wouldn't mind it I have uh, an idea seven, by the way yeah. so you don't have to rush let's get Unterberger on the phone and just make him listen to the end of the big board um, so we don't have to keep pushing him back so it's really okay. like we're pushing him back but he doesn't think that we are all right Andrew Unterberger of uh, if not 
pick will convey as two second rounders uh, of rights to rickysanchez.com. Now, we have good news for you, Andrew. Now, Underberger is going to give us his, uh, his eulogy on, uh, on Brian Colangelo, and we're going to talk about um, uh, the piece he wrote as a tribute to 91 on the website this week. But lucky for you, AU, you get to hear the last um, part of— Seven. Uh, Oh, the last seven of uh, of Mike's big board. All right, let's do it. That's right. But congratulations, we running long. Congratulations, by the way. I think you got through the name entirely that time. Like no uh, no stumbles or anything. Yeah, yeah. I wrote it. Yeah. Well, I wrote it down. I wrote it down Cheater. this time. So, right. yeah. Um, all right, number seven, Mike. Number seven, I have Zaire Smith. We talked about him before. I just think that the athleticism is crazy. He's going to compete defensively. At the very least, he's going to be a good NBA role player. And the athleticism and the quickness. And I think the the IQ lends itself to lends me to believe that he can uh, be, end up becoming like a, a really really good NBA player, but at the very least, role player. Six, I have Miles Bridges. We've talked about him before. Uh, I really do worry that he's Justin Anderson, um, but if he's Justin Anderson with a little bit better handle and uh, more ready defensively, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know. He's a guy I miss on. He's the, he's the exact kind of guy I miss on. Uh, I worry there's Anthony Bennett to him. I don't know. But I loved Anthony Bennett, so who the fuck am I? Yeah. <laughs> right. F- five, I have Shy Gilgis Alexander. Um, I don't think that drafting a guy like Shy means that you're worried about faults. I think they can play well together. I think in today's NBA, you need multiple ball handlers and guys that can initiate. He's just another smart player, switchable player, and I think no matter where he goes, he's going to make that team better. And I believe in the jumper. He's just a guy on both sides of the ball that I really believe in. I think he's a guy that you want on your team. Well, and real uh, quick, Fult- by the way, aside from yeah. Fultz, like there are no guards on the team. You know, really. Well, TJ. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so TJ and Fultz. So even if they're, they're similar to Fultz, and Fultz is who he is, we could use those guys, you know, we could use more guards, I think. So, um, anyway, continue. Uh, four, I have Mikael Bridges. I want him at 10. I I think he slots in so perfectly here. How good his jumpers gotten from year to year is incredible. Uh, I also believe in Jay Wright and just think that if he says that this guy is like a hard worker and this guy works his ass off and competes defensively and is a smart player, uh, won two titles at Nova Inter- integral role in both teams I think that he's at least going to be a very good role player especially for this team and I think that <clears throat> I think that he could there's untapped potential there uh, three I have Aiden he's really in- just an incredible prospect specimen I worry about what he'll do on defense um, but he is so hard to stop offensively he moves well it was a weird situation in Arizona this year, um, but he's a bright kid, and I, th- I think he'll just figure it out on some level. I think he's going to get at some at, – he has to be – he's too good not to be good, you know? Um, yeah. I I actually – as you know, I didn't have him in my top ten. I don't get it. Like, I watched it, and it looks like he's a mess on defense. And, like, offensively, it doesn't even – like, I, I don't even – I don't think I even get it offensively. I I missed this completely. I asked Sharp about it when I was out of the top ten, and he he sort of compared it to uh, Towns in that maybe in, he's going to look better in the pros than he did in college because of where he was playing. Um, yeah. But I don't get it at all. 
He's he's good and he's really and Arizona didn't get him get him the ball enough and he was playing with another big man in in uh, Dusan Ristic and very different players. But with Lowry Markkinen last year, I was re- really worried about what's he gonna. He's not a good rebounder. He he can't protect the rim. And Lowry was a better defender in 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 the pros than he was in college just because of uh, positionally how it worked out. So hopefully that's the case with Aiton. He's obviously not gonna fall to ten, but. Uh, I Arizona was a mess this year for a bunch of reasons, and I I do believe at least that he he's a guy that is good enough and talented enough, and the body is amazing that if you have a chance to get him, you just get him. Uh, two, I have uh, the Blog Boys own Jaron Jackson Jr., <laughs> uh, a big fave of the uh, blog types, analytics types. He's really good, and he's playing out of position at Michigan State, and he was still really good. One of the best block rates in the nation. Uh, just knows how to play basketball. Incredibly fluid shot. I think he's uh, really good defending the perimeter. I think he'll be able to switch on to anybody um, coming right away. He's a smart passer. He can get his own shot sometimes. I think he's a really, really good player. And uh, and if anything, he might. Be, I think he's un- underrated because of – the the small role he had at Michigan State. I had uh, John Henson. No thanks. No, that's wrong. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's fine. And yeah. then at one, I have Luka Doncic. Yeah, I don't. He's good. He's just yeah. incredible. He wins it. He's, he wins at every level. He makes he, the fact that he's even playing at this level at, at the position he was playing in the league he was playing in is insane. Uh, incredible passer. The shot is good off the catch, and it's developing off the dribble too. He gets where he wants to get on the court. Just I, I think that you add, if you add, if he if he falls to four, then, and Memphis for whatever reason doesn't want him, like I, you do anything to move up to get that guy. Oof. That'd be crazy to not try to. He's moves the ball well. I think he's going to defend. Um, I think just in the in the the kind of passing that Brett Brown likes to do. Like having him and Simmons on the court would just be insane. Um, so uh, he's really good. He is fat and he is slow, and um, he can't even like shoot really. I mean, he's okay, but I see no way in which this guy. I saw people comparing him to Larry Bird. It's like people have never fucking seen Larry Bird. That is the only conclusion I can draw. Um, when they compare him to Larry Bird, is that he's he's white and he can pass well, um, but that is the only comparison. I I think anyone who takes him at one is out of their fucking mind. Like I I can't imagine. Everybody talks about how good that league is over there. Like Sergio Rodriguez, like uh, Sergio, uh, yeah, fucking crushed that league. Like like what are we talking about here? Um, well, it's, it's better than college. Maybe okay, but but it's not like. Um, I just think it is possible to excel over there. And, like, there are plenty of guys that excel over there that never do anything over here, that come over here and fail. So um, now that's true also of college. But, like, I don't know. I watch Doncic, and I don't get it at all. Um, He's really good. He's a really smart player for how young he is. mm -hmm. Uh, I believe in the shot. I think he's – I think there's a lot of James Harden to his game. Um, I I just think that – I, th- I think he just is going to find a way to be a really good NBA player because he's that smart and talented. 
Well, that wraps up the big boards. We, uh, we're going to have Elon Vinokurov on uh, later on in the week, and we were, we're aiming for, for Danny Chow. Um, we're pressuring him, so we'll do that. But now, time to Underburger. Now, we have a sponsor for Underburger, but it's not starting until next week. So <laughs> we're not going to talk about Underburger's sponsor. Um, but uh, Underburger – so here's what I thought was interesting, AU, in that – you you told me you were gonna ha- you wanted to write a piece on uh, we will refer to her as ninety one, uh, Brian Colangelo's wife, and you even talk about it in the piece referring to her as ninety one from this point on, just sort of like an ode to her and uh, you know an ode to her being a hero of the process. But as you read it, it's mostly an excuse to just tear Brian Colangelo <laughs> to shreds, and uh, I just didn't know that you hated him so much, I guess. That was what was shocking to me. It's sort of hard to talk about one without talking about the other, I guess, at this point. And I, like, I, I don't hate – well, I didn't hate Brian Colangelo. Uh, and still I would say hate's like a strong word. I don't, I don't hate many sure. people. I guess if I met him in person, I wouldn't want to punch him in the face or anything. But like – yeah, can I, can I say this for a second? Sure. Hate's not a strong word. <laughs> no one needs to say hate's a strong word ever again. It's not. It's a word you say for people that you that bother you, and don't like. It's fine to say. Everybody's aunt and third grade teacher who said, "Hate is a strong word" is wrong. Hate's a fine word and well used. Well, uh, fair enough. But th- this kind of segues into to sort of my natural intro to this rant. So can I, can I just kind of go here? Yeah, this oh, is please. all right. As I said, muting, you were, muting you were, myself. Right. You you are the outlaws in uh, in hit 'em up right now. So go All ahead. Right. I, I did want to kind of start by saying that, like, as a as a writer and as a person in general, I try to be like relatively even keeled. I don't I don't really pop off on Twitter very often. I, I don't like writing hit pieces. I, I I think it's important to to be empathetic and to keep perspective when talking about these things and. Things from different viewpoints and all that. Uh, so I, I, I don't, you know, I don't hate many people, and I don't, I don't try to spread hate very often. But there are, you know, like anybody, there are certain things that kind of set me off. Uh, and I'd say, like, if I could generally categorize them, there, there are people who lack self awareness, people who act without thinking about the consequences first, and people who lack empathy themselves. And, and then this Colangelo statement is kind of a perfect storm of all three of those. Like, it, 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 just, just reading it the, the first time, my jaw dropped. It, it, it's it's written by a man who seems to be totally incapable of seeing the world from any perspective besides his own. And there's been a lot of talk this week about, and, and like since the story dropped on The Ringer, about how this is like the most shocking thing that's ever happened in the Sixers history. Oh, I've, I've never covered anything like this. Oh, have you ever seen anything like this before? No, it's the weirdest thing I've ever covered. Uh, I'm not really with that. I actually disagree with that pretty strongly. I think people are, are forgetting pretty quickly about how our top overall picks spend a year unable to shoot and no one can sort of agree why. And people are forgetting about the, the year lost of Andrew Bynum while he was out flamenco dancing and bowling and all that. Like the, the Sixers have been through some pretty weird shit in their time. And this, to me, like while the trappings of it are strange and unusual and sort of specific to this moment in time, uh, at its core, I think it, it, you boil it down, it's really not that weird a story. It's about an executive getting frustrated with how he's being treated in the media, and it's his wife trying to defend him. And, you know, there, there's ridiculousness that surrounds it. There's a lot of noise and a lot of kind of funny bits of it that, that we'll sort of remember as, as making the situation seem a lot stranger than it really was. When you get down to it, I, I don't see it as really being all that different from stuff we've gone through with KJ McDaniel's mom or Jaleel Okafor's dad. It, it, it's, it's a, you know, a member of the organization and you know, an, an embattled member of the organization and the significant other or family member trying to stick up for them. And so when you, when you look at it like that, I think it's actually a pretty understandable situation. It's actually 
much more understandable, I think, than Brian Colangelo himself realizes. It's more relatable. It's more sympathetic. It, it's not that out of the realm of our own experience. But he just doesn't seem to grasp that. He's still in that someone's out to get me mold that he was in nine days ago, ten days ago, whatever. And he, has, he hasn't changed from that. And he doesn't understand that, that the fact that the someone who was apparently out to get him is his own fucking wife, that, that she's that person, that changes everything. And it, it changes the entire situation from an, like, like an espionage thriller to a family drama. And, and so he, he doesn't get that. And the other thing he doesn't seem to really get is why he's being fired. Like, I, I, you know, he sort of acknowledges it in the letter. But I, I think if you ask him, he still thinks he's being punished unfairly for something he did. He thinks he's being fired because he did a bad thing because his bosses think he screwed up and because he's being held responsible and he is being punished for it. And that's not really why Brian Colangelo is being fired. He's being fired because no matter whose fault all of this is, he has been compromised. He is now a liability. Uh, the, the, the best player on his own team hates him. The best player in the NBA is making dad jokes about him in the middle of the fucking NBA finals. Like, it, it, you, you can't go into free agency with this guy's name anywhere on the masthead. Uh, and especially because one of the guys we're trying to get in free agency is that guy who's like bedum shigging him in, in his own press conferences. And he doesn't seem to see any of that. All he sees is it's not my fault. You can't prove it's my fault. And therefore, I, I shouldn't be held accountable. And none of that matters. I mean, maybe it's true, maybe it isn't. I don't, I don't personally buy it, but, but it's, it's over. It's been over since The Ringer published that story. And, and, and for the record, like in any dispute where it's between two kind of un, unreliable parties and there's some gray area, I'm always way less inclined to believe the person who says it is 100% not my fault. I had no responsibility in this. It's not me. That that's the, you know people who say that and people who can't recognize that nothing is ever anybody's fault completely and nothing is ever no one's ever completely blameless in anything in the real world. People who can't acknowledge that chances are they're, they that they are more responsible than they're letting on. I think, and but but it's like you guys have said like repeatedly on the podcast. He's a master of shifting blame. Uh, he's a master of you know getting you know making other people's you know making his own problems seem solely like the work of other people. And in the past, it's been other executives, it's been his team, it's been Brett Brown, whatever. And this time, it's his own fucking wife. It's the mother of his two children. And he, he totally puts the blame on her. He doesn't even do it in, like, a, like a sneaky way or a surreptitious way. He doesn't, he doesn't there's, there's no, like, buried subtweets hidden in this statement. Uh, there's nothing where he, you know, he kind of makes it look like he's accepting blame. But if you read between the lines, it's suddenly shifting to somebody else. It's, it's something like that. Uh, what he does, he, he unbuttons his collar, he picks up his wife, he holds her over his head, and with all the force and strength that his 53 years can muster, he throws her under the fucking bus. And and I don't know if you guys have seen, you know, I, I tweeted a screenshot of a, of a page of news headlines, and they all kind of are, are some variation of the of the term, Brian Colangelo throws wife under the bus. And like it's it's amazing to see these in, in, in like news story headlines, but there's no other way to explain the situation. You know, if you, you read you read the statement; it's, it's it's her actions. She acted independently. The content she shared. You know, it sounds like a sounds like a third grader tattling on his classmate. And the, the part that I found the worst of all, like the most insulting of all, uh, is I think at the end of the first paragraph, and he says something like, "It says, uh, at no point did I ever purposefully or directly share any sensitive, non-public, club-related information with her." And a, like, what kind of marriage is that? Like, you know, she asked him what, what, his, what his day was like, and, and he said, oh, sorry, babe, trade secrets, can't, can't talk about that sort of thing. And, and B, like, what's his theory as to how she got it? Like, is she, like, a spy for a rival organization? Is she, is she running intel on him? Like, why, how, like, none of that makes sense. It, it, it doesn't make sense at all. And it, it, it all goes back to him just, just not understanding and not getting it. He thinks that if he can, uh, you know, paint a picture that absolves himself from being at fault, he can either save his job with the Sixers or at least get another job elsewhere. 
uh, and and he does it to to such a point where his his self defense becomes totally implausible. Like like there's nobody who reads that letter and is like, oh yeah, sure. Like he says he didn't do it. I believe him. I take his word for it. It's possible that he never once talked about anything even slightly confidential with his wife. It's possible that he never once stepped out of the bounds of his job. It's, 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 just, it's just not. And, and he uh, he thinks that other teams wow. are, are oh. gonna. Sorry. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I made the mistake of. I, I thought. Oh no, no. Going, I'm, I'm going. going. I'm going. Uh, he thinks yeah. other teams are gonna read this. And, and and you know take his side and be like oh it wasn't his fault he clearly you know he didn't do anything wrong and and, and really like they're gonna read this and say this guy is a sociopath I, I don't want him near I, I don't want him near my house let alone my team like I, I don't want anything to do with this guy like, and, and it, can you guys imagine being one of the like the kids reading that letter like if, if you know my, my my you know my father's not an executive for for a, uh, a sports team a professional sports team or anything he's a you know relatively you know, powerful lawyer at a, a respected law firm. If, if he like got into trouble and it turned out that my that my mother had shared, shared stuff like that, and he had written that letter, like that that would sh- that would shatter my entire worldview. That that would that would be the end of of my my happiness as as a member of my family. That, that I, I can't imagine what the kids are going through reading this. And and you know, he thinks that the, the letter is going to save him. And the, the ironic thing is that like you know we we've all probably written letters like that at some point in our life you know we we, we get emotional about a situation we're not thinking clearly or we get we get too much inside our own heads and 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 you you write these you write something that's you think is being reasonable sounding reasonable but it really sounds super passive passive aggressive or super grudge holdy or, or just just kind of blaming in general but, I mean, like what, what most people do, I think what most adult people do you know you save it as a draft, you reconsider in the morning and, and if you're lucky enough to have a significant other who you trust and whose opinion you respect, you, you show them the letter and you say, honey, does this make me look like a psychopath? And clearly it's not the kind of relationship that Brian Colangelo had with his wife. It's not the kind of thinker that he is. Because I mean, not not only do, does he clearly not you know consult his wife's opinion or anybody else's opinion, but he, he had 10 days to think of the best thing to write. His final statement, his grandstand with the Sixers, is the last, the kind of the last word he was going to have in as a member of the organization before shuttling off to do who knows what afterwards. And he still thought that this was the absolute best foot he could put forward. And that, uh, it, it's, you know, I've never been a, f- a fan of him as a GM. Uh, you know, I, I've complained for years about the Nerlens Noel trade. Uh, you guys have heard me on the, on the, the Stauskas Nookfor trade. Unfortunately, nobody else has. But, uh, you know, like most general managers, I think he's had hits and misses. You know, uh, Mike O'Connor at The Athletic uh, did like a a thing where he rated every single one of uh, his transactions over the years and gave him a grade A to F. And there were some A's, there were some B's, there were some C's. I don't think there were many D's, maybe Jared Bayless. But I, I think generally it, w- it was a pretty like healthy spectrum of, of, of ratings for, for the maneuvers he's made over the years. And I agreed with most of them. I think he's done some good things. He's done some okay things. He's done some bad things. And that makes him an average GM. That's not really that remarkable. Uh, so I, I don't think his tenure is going to go down as a disaster as a GM. I mean, the the, the, the fault stuff is still kind of pending, and if if the worst case scenario turns out to be true there, then then yeah, that that that's sort of his legacy. But I hope it's not. I hope it's this statement that that, that he, it's what he's remembered for. And I was listening to Zach Lowe and Ethan Sherwood Strauss on on the Low Post podcast. They're talking about how he, uh, Colangelo deserves our empathy. We we shouldn't you know we shouldn't be making fun of him without understanding this from his perspective and his situation. Uh, and that was, I think that, that was before that they actually saw this letter because they, they read it out loud on the podcast. But, but like up until that, the point of that letter, I do agree with them. I, I think that you know, this is a relatable situation. This is like a, like a human situation. It's a very sad situation, really. But only up until the point of that statement because that, that was the time where he could have finally emphasized humanity over ego for like once in his life. 
And instead, he doubled down on the shaggy defense. He gives no empathy, therefore he gets no empathy. I say, piss off Brian Colangelo, and I hope you'll enjoy life in the private sector. Yes! Wow. Wow. Well that done. Exclusively because of the Stauskas trip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, let, let me know, is there anything I'm missing here? Like, is there, is there no. a perspective I'm not considering? Like, uh, it seems impossible to me. It just no. uh, his. I, I think you touched on or you hit on his lack of awareness of how other people may even think is is the most striking thing in the end. That like that a he doesn't really know why he's being fired, but b he doesn't know that that statement would come off as him looking like like even guiltier and worse than he did before. I thought it was, uh, I thought that was an, an apt op- observation. Uh, yeah. And, I, you know. and I think you wrote, Andrew, you wrote like a good statement in there, in your piece of like, if you said this, everyone would have been, okay, that, I get it. Even sympathy, even like I could see you returning to an NBA job. And maybe people don't care about statements, whatever, but he clearly feels this way. He clearly is just filled with rage and bitterness that this is how it ended and that it's none of it's his fault and he's deflecting blame again. So I think that's just who he is. And I don't think, I think you're right. He's going to, I said he should join the board at Uber, but <laughs> maybe it's too toxic for him. Yeah. I, I think his, his public facing career is probably over at this point, And I think that's probably for the best for all concerned. His dad will get him another job. Maybe. I, I, Two years. That's what I give it. And look, I, I, I don't even know if writing a sympathetic letter, letter changes the equation at all. I don't know if sympathy buys him another shot in the NBA or anywhere else like it. But, like, don't you want to just not seem like a monster at the end of the day? Like, don't you want to just seem like a, a, <laughs> yeah. like a an adult yeah. human person? I, I, it's, I don't know, it's so perplexing to me. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and yeah. at what point did he even think that... W- if we are to believe everything he said, like at what point should we have found out? Did he not find out until the lawyers found out that it was his wife? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, right. But, someone's out to get me. But who though? Don't you know? Yeah, I, I hope you know. I, I can't remember if it was you guys or somebody else mentioned uh, him going on the podcast circuit after this is all over. And I hope. Yeah, I that hope, was uh, Anthony Capelli, yeah. and I think it'll definitely happen. And, and shout out to him for it. I hope we get to hear his insane side of the story and what what his own theories are as to what happened, and and who is like secretly, well, you know, like, like who, who who was the like the, the initial source, the initial deep throat, and in all this. And like, I, I hope we really get deep into his own conspiracy theories because I'm sure they're only going to make him seem more insane and, and and less relatable. I do like the the corner of NBA Twitter that is defending him is all like I can't even describe what corner it is, but if I tell you the people, you'll understand the corner. It is uh, our friend, the hoops critic, Chris Sheridan and Steve Kyler, all guys that like you woke up one day and you're like, wait a minute, like why do people talk to that guy? And you can't <laughs> quite figure it out. And like they're guests on TV shows and radio shows, and you can't even figure out like if they've even actually written anything. But there they are, like once every two years with some kind of a uh, like inside information or a take. Like I, I, it's a very, it's a very. They're all a like group of people um, who are who are caping for him, which I think is funny. That's not the hive you want. No, no, I don't think so. And, um, yeah, go ahead. Just, just wondering, like, uh, and I know you guys have talked about how weird a situation this is. Do you really, do you guys really think that this rates higher than the Fultz and Bynum messes in terms of like overall? Like, are we going to look back at ten years from now and try to, you know, when we try to explain to people like what a crazy time this era in Sixers history was? 
Is is this going to be the thing rather than the Fulton Bynum messes? Well, I I, I do, yeah. Yeah. I, I think the the Fultz thing is is certainly crazy, but hopefully it's just like the oh my god! Remember when you couldn't shoot for a year? Well, I figured that one out. Great. <laughs> and the Bynum thing was like, oh well, they took a shot, but that guy's out of his mind. But the idea that like an executive can lose his job over this crazy of a thing, and so it's so like because the fault it, it had a, it had it just story wise, story structure wise, it had such a beginning, middle, end. Whereas the Bynum thing was just like, oh, vaguely, this is what it was. The Fultz thing is sort of, there were minor updates over the course of the season that sort of tweaked it, but mostly it was sort of uh, clouded in mystery. But this Colangelo thing is such a a week and and we're out. Here, the story gets released. People on Twitter are finding it out, and he's gone, and the horrible statement. Like, that's, it's a very easy to delineate message, and, uh. I think it's the craziest, yeah. I, I guess that, I mean, that's fair, but that's sort of why I think it doesn't really rate with the Fultz and Bynum things because, like, yeah, like you said, like, it's over. It's it's resolved. It, it, it's, it happened for a week and now it's done. Like, we still don't totally understand what happened that year with Bynum. We still don't know totally what's going on with Fultz. Like, that's that's what makes it so much weirder to me is is that, like, yeah, it's, it's a story without an ending. And, and, you know, 15 years from now, I'm not sure we're going to understand it any better than we understand it currently. Like that, that to me makes it a much weirder overall story than, than this, which, I, you know. I, I think, uh, I think, okay, I think you're right and you're wrong. I think you're right in that the story itself without any of the, without any of the outside influences um, is not that crazy. Like I've, I've, I talked on the podcast a couple of times about like, it all seems reasonable to me. Um, him being self-conscious enough to have a burner account, um, her, wanting to defend him and and doing all of those things and not quite understanding how it could be bad. Like I, all of that, that I I think is not that crazy. What I do think is crazy is everything surrounding it. Like all I just think about is the moment where, and Fultz like forgetting how to shoot or whatever on its face is definitely stranger. But the reading that article and being like, what the fuck? (laughs) And then, the, the like the three days that that followed are just like the the instance not that crazy but I think the sh- the overall story of it is is pretty insane right like the idea that we can look at grainy faults videos and see if his foul shooting form across the gym is getting better is uh, certainly bizarre but understandable and something that NBA fans have have scrutinized and done before but the idea that all of a sudden I'm on Italian art gallery websites looking for like a, the direct line to see if it ends in nine one. That that is that transcends anything that we've had to we've been through. And I think even just the level of attracting other people. There's people that it's a fun story to tell non Sixers fans or non basketball right. fans, and yep. there's, it's dramatic enough to exist like in the real world, and it's very relatable of a thing. You're right. Uh, and I guess what what's kind of sets this one apart is that it is just as much about us as it is about the team. Yeah. Like, right. like you know, friggin' legs and Andrew Sharp and Ben Dietrich, like they're all like very key players in this story. And like, yeah, like, you know, we we, we might have reported or discussed the the Bynum and Fultz stuff, but we didn't really change the narrative on our own the way that these guys did. And, and that, that, I suppose, does make it crazier on that level. Crazy. Well, this was our NBA Finals. <laughs> I think we won. It's better than the yeah, actual NBA yeah. Finals, yeah, for sure. 
Um, speaking of the NBA Finals, before we get out of here, I did promise my new take, and I might as well just present it to both of you rather than uh, just Mike, and uh, you can let me know what you thought. Um, so we it's a broadcaster take. Um, we, we watch the NBA, and generally, like, I think all broadcasters are, like, fine. There are some that are horrible. I think Mark Jackson's horrible. I think Reggie Miller is horrible. But, like, by and large, I don't even really pay attention. And I also think the jobs are a little bit harder than we give it credit for. Um, but for some reason, like, people treat Doris Burke online like she talks about basketball like we've never heard it before. Like she is like uh, Einstein or something. And uh, it seems like you cannot be part of the NBA Twitter conversation without like waking up. It's like, ah, let me tweet some praise about Doris Burke and how I'm pissed off that she's the sideline reporter instead of the color reporter. Um, And I've determined that Doris Burke is like the Mark Gasol of broadcasters in that (laughs) it, it is it is your way of proving to the rest of NBA Twitter that like you're cool and you get it because you understand why this person is better where this person is good but like not nearly as good as you're giving it credit for and like this has nothing to do with the fact that she is banned and she didn't say the name but like the Doris Burke praise is fucking out of pocket and Sheil Kapadia suggesting her as general manager is like like um, I, I feel like I'm in I'm taking crazy pills or something like I, I'm I don't get it, and uh, that is my take. And uh, well, uh, most I don't I don't disagree that, about the Marcus Hull thing, and that Marcus Hull is also very good, and Doris Burke is very good. Uh, I just think that the bar for being a color a national color commentator is so low for how for how bad a lot of these people are, and Doris is great for that. Is she the is she like? the best thing of all time we should fall over ourselves to talk about it maybe not but i just think when graded on a curve she's clearly far and away the best or one of the best options yeah and it's sort of the underrated overrated thing she she was under recognized for a really long time and you know she she she's obviously like incredibly overqualified to be a sideline reporter uh, and she would be one of the best play-by-play people if 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 they you know when she does it and if they gave her more of a chance in the high profile games but yeah, like because uh, she was she was given the you know short shrift for such a long time. Now we're going out of our way to be over effusive in a praise for her, and that's fair. And it all balance out, and hopefully she'll get a job commiserate with her own talents, and we won't have to have this discussion again. She talks like her teeth are glued together, and <laughs> drives me fucking nuts. So um, no offense, Doris, you're fine, but like you know, the praise outweighs the reality. I think so. Um, all right, Andrew Underberger, you can read his newest piece, uh, An Ode to 91. Uh, it is, I think, some of his best work that he's ever done. It is, it is uh, smart and passionate, and, uh, and we look forward to more. And um, like I said, we'll have uh, Ilan Vinokurov on later this week, hopefully Chow, as we lead on to the, uh, the draft, which is amazingly less than two weeks away. Yeah. Um, anything else to add, guys? Yes? No? Off season, baby. Let's go. Off season. Two hour podcast to kick off the off season. Wow. Yeah. All right. Mike, are you down with TTP? Yeah, you know, lick face. We are the murderers there. That with the jail and we murdered the murderers there. Then with the hell and discovered the devil delivered some hurt and despair. Used to have power to push. Now I smoke pounds of the push. Holy, I'm burning the bush. Now I give a fuck about none of this shit. Two runner over and out of this bitch.
Hustles and downers get done. I'm in a rush to be numb. Dropping a thousand ain't much. Come from the clouds on a missile to turn.